Would you uh, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3? We are working our way through the book of Philippians, uh, roughly paragraph by paragraph, looking to study what God had to say to the Philippian church and then the God who does not change uh, says to us how we can uh, know Him and walk with Him and what are the great joys of belonging to Christ. Now, I titled the sermon, What is Your Quest? Uh, that's actually a, a movie line. Now, a few of you are grinning because you know the movie line. It's from uh, Monty Python movie, The Search for the Holy Grail. And uh, the movie itself is, is uh, not that great, so you don't have to run out to get it. It's actually mostly only fun if, uh, if you're with a bunch of people who've already seen it like ten times. So it really gets good about the tenth time watching it with your friends. And if you don't have, you know, 20 hours to sit with friends watching a movie, you might have missed this one. But the scene in particular has King Arthur and a number of his, a number of his noble knights are on a pursuit to find the Holy Grail, the cup from which Jesus drank on his uh, uh, day of crucifixion. That's at least the premise of the movie. And uh, they come to a, a bridge guarded by, I don't know, a troll, a guardian, something that would not let you pass without answering three questions. Now, I'm, I'm not interested in all the three questions, just the fact that he asked the same two questions to every passer. What is your name and what is your quest? Well, everyone has a name. And if you intend to cross this bridge, you must have a quest. You must have something that's that's brought you this way. There must be some driving force in your life that would make you even want to cross this bridge. That's at least part of the idea. And in the idea of the scriptures, there is something that's always driving us in the way we're going. There is always a quest or a hope uh, that's acting in our life, that's shaping how we're going to think. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says that there is eternity set in the heart of man. And we are always trying to fill that eternity with something. That is the quest we're on. And so I want to ask you, what is your quest? What are you searching for to fill eternity in your heart? And Philippians 3 helps us get the healthy answer. Before we read it, let's pray again. Father, would you bless the time we spend in your word? Would you make your word powerful and effective in our lives? Would you cause your spirit to minister to us eternal changes by what we do for the next 15 or 20 minutes? We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 12. This is God's word. Not that I have already obtained this, that is what he spoke of in the previous passage, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me 
and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we wait, await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is God's word. It is completely true and it is utterly trustworthy. A few years ago, there was an article in the Parade magazine. I guess that's the little magazine that used to come with the Sunday paper. And in it, they were talking about a man named Eugene uh, Lang. Eugene Lang was a self-made millionaire, a successful businessman, who was invited into a Harlem uh, elementary school. Actually, uh, it was sixth graders that he went to speak to. And he went to this uh, group of sixth grade grade class in a public school in, in Harlem, and he talked to them about his successes in business. You know, the idea is that, you know, You send a successful businessman in to tell the sixth graders, you could do this. You could come and be a success and motivate them to stay in school. But the problem was uh, many of these minority children had only seen that uh, their older brothers or their cousins or parents in many cases who'd started in that neighborhood, ended in that neighborhood and nothing really changed. And many of them felt like the outcome of their life would be probably some kind of street business that uh, you don't report to the IRS. They didn't have a ton of hope that they felt like they could get out of the situations they were in. And so in the midst of the conversation, this businessman said to the entire sixth grade class, 59 sixth graders, uh, here's what he said, stay in school and I'll help pay the college tuition for every one of you. And all of a sudden, something really changed for them. They said, there is a way out. There's someone here who's going to help me, and there might be a way out. For the first time, these students had hope. One student said, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. Nearly 90% of that class went on to graduate from high school. That's substantially higher than our schools. 90%. One of them told Eugene Lang his dream was to be an ambassador for the United States. He is in Mexico City as the vice consul at the at the consular's office there for the United States. Hope really is a powerful force. And I want you to see that's what Paul is talking about, the hope that you have and how it will shape your life. And he says at least three things, three things I want you to see is that hope will set the trajectory for your life. Hope will give you endurance. And your hope is that you belong in God's kingdom. So look at those with me. Hope sets the trajectory for our life. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this. Now what's the this? Well, we could jump back. Let's jump back to say verse 10. That I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, 
that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It, that, that's what Paul has in mind. Not that I've already gotten to where I know Jesus enough. Not that I've already become like him enough in his life or his sufferings, and certainly obviously not in his death, but I want to be like him in every way. I want to know him in every way. That was his hope. And I haven't obtained it yet. I've not arrived. I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I have this great hope of being like Christ, of knowing him, of gaining him in some way, and I press on. I shape my whole life about that one hope. It helps me make decisions. How am I supposed to think about my prison stay? How am I supposed to think about my circumstances? In these circumstances, I get to know Jesus. How am I supposed to think about my financial situation? In this situation, I get to know Jesus. How am I supposed to think about the, the blessings and comforts of my life? In it, I get to know Jesus. How am I supposed to think about the afflictions and trouble in my life? In it, I get to know Jesus. It shapes how he thinks about all of his life. I press on that in this moment, I get to know Jesus better. It shapes everything for him. And, and this really is a principle, I think, that is almost self-evident. What you hope for is going to shape and set the trajectory for your life. If you hoped to go shopping in Jackson, you would get on 25 and you would head south. Because that's how you get there. And you say, but that's what I hope for, so I'm going to aim my life in that direction. What Paul is saying is, you have a substantially bigger hope than shopping. You have a substantially bigger hope than uh, simply being uh, comfortable and happy. You have a substantially bigger hope than what you can lay your hands upon. And so you ought to let that hope shape the direction of your life. But he's aware that there are three things that can get in the way. I want you to see those three things. And the first one is, if you feel like you have arrived, that will keep you from hope. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Or verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but I keep pressing on is the idea. In verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature, not those of us who are complete, those of us who are perfect, those of us who have arrived. He says, no one's arrived. No one has gotten to where uh, you're done. That hasn't happened yet. That there's more for you to know about Jesus. Now, some of you are pretty knowledgeable about Jesus. And for that, I'm very thankful. Some of you, I've seen, show me some things that look like Jesus in ways that I go, I want to be like that. But I don't want you to ever think, I've gotten there. There is more about Jesus for you to know. There's more about you, about Jesus for you to love. There's more about his love for you to experience. There is something richer and deeper about him and his life for you to imitate than you have yet gotten to. And what happens when you think, I've gotten to where I want, you park the car and get out. And you stand and you, you, you become stagnant. 
And so spiritually speaking, one of the worst things that can happen is for you to look around and think, well, I'm about as good as I need to be. There's, there's a certain contentment that comes from being a Christian because we know Jesus and he is our righteousness and we have this hope that is absolutely sure. In the Bible, hope is not something that you um, have wishful thinking. I one day would like for this to be true. I really hope that it happens. That's the way we talk about ordinary life. In the Bible, hope is more like anticipation. It's something that's mine that I don't have yet, but is coming. And if you have gotten to the point where you feel like, I've gotten what I want, then what you wanted wasn't Jesus. You haven't gotten all of him yet. And so your hope sets the direction for your life. And if you feel like you've arrived, you'll stagnate and you won't have the power of hope to drive you. The second one, and this one's to me most fascinating, is that if you look back at yourself, you lose some hope. Look what he says in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Did you capture that? Paul could look back on his life and think, at this point in his life, he's in prison for preaching the gospel. He's planted churches in numerous cities. He's seen many, many, many converts. He himself says in verse 17, join in imitating me. He's so bold he could say, I want you to follow me. Do like I do. That's a pretty bold thing to say. Act like me. He's grown to love the Lord. He's seen a great deal of success. He's seen magnificent transformation in his life from one who used to try to persecute Christians to one who has been the man who builds the church. Uh, I've mentioned a book by a historian who ranked the hundred most influential people in Western Hemisphere history. And they ranked Paul third. Think about that. At the end of his life, if he were to be able to see it, he could look back and say, I might have been one of the most important people in the history of mankind. And he says, you know what I think about all that? Forget it. Forget every good thing you have experienced. Forget every uh, spiritual thing you have accomplished. Forget it. It's not good enough yet. If you think you have gotten to the best that it's going to be, Paul says, you're not close. Forget it. But he's also saying, you've got some failures in your past. You've got some things that weigh on your conscience. There's, there are some things that you're embarrassed about. Stuff that you don't tell anybody anymore because hey, that's not really me anymore, but I wish it weren't true. Paul says, you know about that stuff? Forget about it. Forget about it. Your hope is not in having accomplished enough. Your hope is not in being particularly uh, good at something, even being particularly good at being a Christian. Though he presses for that direction, he wants to be like Jesus. He says, that's not my hope. My hope is in knowing Christ, in knowing his resurrection, in his power in my life. And so... The stuff that I look back and say to my credit, 
Forget about it. The stuff that I look back and say to my demerits, forget about it. I still get Jesus. We get to where we can get pretty down on ourselves. If I look back and I say, even if I just look back to yesterday, and I think, I really made a mess of that. And I begin to feel some self-pity, or I begin to feel like I'm not worthy, and there's some you know, internal punching going on. You messed this up. Paul says, dear Christian, you messed up yesterday. Now forget about it and press on. You're in Jesus and you get him. Forget about that which was to your credit. Forget about that which was to your demerits and run to Jesus. Press on to him. The, the third danger about our hope is to think that it's not really possible. You know, if, if uh, my hope was to get to Jackson to do some shopping, but my car was broken down, I would give up. I'm not going to make it. Because I can't. But I want you to hear what's being said by Paul. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ has made this possible that you would get to know him because he has made you his. Now, a lot of pronouns there. Jesus says, you belong to me. And because of that, the hope you have is possible. Not just possible, but certain. Paul is not looking here saying, I really want to attain to the resurrection of the dead and, and I want to attain to the Christ likeness and I, I want to attain to the knowledge of Jesus and I really hope that it happens. But he says, but Christ took hold of me for that purpose and so I'm going to get there. And because I'm going to get there, I'm aiming myself for it. I'm aiming myself for knowledge of Jesus. I'm aiming myself for the work in his kingdom, for life in Christ. It is possible. Some of you deal with sins and failures that you feel like by now you should be done with them. And you begin to say, am I ever going to get done with it? I want you to hear Paul say, you belong to Jesus. Yes. Yes, you will. Your hope stands and that hope gives you endurance. Look what happens next. He says in verse 16, only let us hold true to that we have attained. That is, that we belong to Jesus. Let us hold on to that. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Here he's saying there were some people who I knew. And I'm telling you their names because I knew them. They started showing interest in the gospel. They showed some, some life and some interest in the church. But now, I'm telling you with such sadness because it breaks my heart. They're enemies of Christ. They're enemies of His cross. What happened? They lost their hope in Christ. And instead, it says, verse 19, their end is destruction their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They stopped hoping 
to know Christ, and they started hoping for earthly things. When it says their God is their belly, it's like saying their appetite drives them. And he could mean it literally, that they just wanted to eat. And it's what sort of gave them their life. Just make me happy with the food and the pleasures. But probably he means it figuratively, that their physical appetites for pleasure, for comfort, for food, for substance, began to drive them. It became what they hoped for. Instead of hoping to know Christ, they hoped for something way too small. They hoped for only what the world could give them. And there's a danger of that happening in us. Here's how it looks in us. We keep coming to church, so obviously our hope is in Christ, right? But see, what could really happen is, I have some hope that Christ will give me, uh, uh, you know, happy children. I have hope that Christ will uh, give me a good job. I have hope that Christ will make my life pretty comfortable. And you see what I've really set my hope in is, is happiness or comfort. And I'm expecting Christ to give me those things. My hope's not in him. And I want you to know what Paul says is, is the normal course for someone who hopes for those things, earthly things, lower things than Christ, is destruction, tears, brokenness. That what Paul is saying is there is a rich hope that's yours. You get to know Jesus, the one who made pleasures. You get to know Jesus, the one who loves your children more than you do. You get to know Jesus who loved you enough to give himself up for you. And so set your hope there. And when your hope is on Christ, it doesn't matter what happens around you. You can always endure it. Every failure, every affliction, every obstacle that comes into the way, you keep having hope in Christ and you can overcome those obstacles. You stand. Then the last thought is that our hope is that we belong in God's kingdom. Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Three things about this. One is you're a citizen of heaven. You're awaiting a resurrected body that was glorious like Jesus' resurrected body, and you're the arena in which God's power is at work. Did you catch those things? You're a citizen of heaven. You belong there now. I spent, when I was in college, six weeks in Russia. And we, we lived in a hotel uh, that we had to maintain ourselves. It's more like, a, I don't know, a flat little thing that we, it was barely enough. And, and they turned off the hot water exactly 48 hours after we got there. And uh, it was cold showers, like like give yourself an ice cream headache when you washed your hair cold. And, and uh, we ate the food that was given to us, and uh, we had gray hot dogs for breakfast. And that was the peak of the meal, usually. Uh, and they were good. Actually, I like the hot dogs. But the, the, it was all stuff that you're like, I don't know about that. Some cucumbers with some kind of white something on it that was salad. 
And uh, I remember on days when I had a free time, I'd run down to the market and get a banana. I'm like, I know what this is. <laughs> Six weeks away in the foreign culture, and I could not wait to get home. And I remember going through the airline with my passport that said American citizen and having the customs agent look at it and see how long we were gone. And he said, welcome home. I belong here. This is my place. And what God says is you are a citizen of heaven. It is your place. And so we show up. And what we hear from God at the gate is welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. And I'm going to give you all the best. I'm going to take the body that you have now. That is, you know. Filled with all kinds of joint pain. You kids don't get it. I'm just starting to. I know my knees won't last as long as I do. But God says, I'm going to make your body new. Like Jesus' resurrection body. I'm going to give you a body that's overcome death and decay. And I want to show that my power is over everything. And I want to show it in you. That hope is bigger than... I hope I like my job. That hope is bigger than uh, I hope that I'm comfortable. That hope is bigger than everything you can set your eyes on. Because at the end of that hope, not only do you get a body like Jesus, and not only do you get citizenship in heaven and the power of God at work in you, you get Jesus himself. That's what's being given to you in, Christ, in the gospel. Let that hope drive everything about you. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would help us hope in Christ. To turn from everything else and to cling to him with our whole hearts. To know that we do not have what we will have. And what we will have is really beyond words. And it is not because we will be comfortable or just be happy, but because we will have our Savior in His fullness. And that will be great. That will be great. Help us wait with great hope. And may that shape our lives today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.